Welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ron Swallow. I'm Ed Greer. And I'm producer Bill. And today, we bring to you a discussion about one of the great American movie stars, full stop. And so what we're trying to determine right now is, um, is Tom Cruise the greatest? And over the course of this conversation, we'll obviously talk about his filmography, his impact, maybe a little bit about him jumping on couches and 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 uh, worshiping uh, Zenu, <laughs> maybe a little bit of that, but not a whole bunch. Because frankly, you dig it, you dig enough, you're gonna find something about all the people you love. So I, I don't I don't see him waterboarding people in Sea Org. So we're not gonna dwell on that. <laughs> If you want to hear that, I'm sure Leah Remini has several podcasts about the shit. Which is not to downplay the importance of that, because anybody who is a member of an apocalyptic death cult that separates people from their families, worth looking into. Work look, worth looking into. Absolutely. Yeah. Not trying to minimize. It's just like, uh, so there's so many hours of the day, and I want to talk about people who run fast. <laughs> I wonder if he really knows. I mean, look. I know he should know because there's so much reporting on it, right? But at the same time, if you are in the thing and everything they show you is all the good stuff that you see all of the time, right? Because you, you think Tom Crow, Tom Cruise knows, goes on to those, those boats where people are swiping decks and weigh, you know, 95 pounds. It's not a real I, I, good excuse, but I think there's something to that. It's not a good excuse at all, but I would agree that I think you know, Tom Cruise is essentially treated by the Church of Scientology as if Jesus came back, how he would be treated by the Catholic Church today. You know, barring the fact that they would have American Catholics, at least, would have total uh, problems with his socialism and his uh, love for the poor and all that. But, you know, <laughs> I think the Church of Scientology presents the rosiest possible picture to Tom Cruise because he is both like their bank and their biggest public face so on an internal level i'm sure that like everybody's bending over backwards to just reinforce to him how great it all is and th this might be the first time you have to separate the art from the artist not by his personal deeds unless there's some giant what's her name that played the chick in dark knight and then she got replaced katie holmes katie holmes unless there's some katie holmes slash uh What's the chick with the weird face that does the movie ads now? Nicole Kidman. Okay, yeah. Those two <laughs> those two exes, unless they tag team like the goddamn Road Warriors from WWE and do a, do a tag team tell-all book about them. Until that day, he's actually castigated for the actions of an organization he's known to be allied with, but again, not his own personal actions, which yeah, is kind of funny. I think the only thing that's ever really come out about Tom Cruise on a personal level is that he's exhausting. Like, if you're in a relationship with him, he he kind of operates not like a human being. Like, he just has this infinite wellspring of energy. He never stops. He's constantly doing stuff. He's constantly talking to people. Like, it just seems like he's a difficult person to be in a relationship with because in his own mind, he belongs to the streets. You know what I mean? Like... He's just out there doing it for everybody all the time. And that's just fucking yeah. exhausting. But like, yeah, yeah. To your point, Ed, there's never been anybody that's come out and said about him like, oh, my God, he's awful. Just yeah. hasn't happened. No. And it would have at this point. That shit would have come out. Maybe not. Who knows? So I, I certainly hope all the stories that 
I've read are true because in the stories that people tell about Tom Cruise, he, yeah. he got hit. He saw someone get hit by a car. He paid for their, uh, her in her injuries because she didn't have insurance and he picked her up and took her to took her to UCLA. So it's going to be easy uh, to also get into all the great stuff he does in movies, because as a as a movie star, I, 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 I don't know how many things have really fallen short, like have done badly. Off the top of my head, the only like the closest thing to a bomb that comes to mind would be something like Mission Impossible 2, which was just such a weird tonal whiplash from the first one. And like people didn't really get it. But it also isn't, you know, it's not like John Travolta making Battlefield Earth regarded as one of the worst movies ever made. Huge waste of money, blah, blah, blah. I don't know that Tom Cruise has one of those to his name, which is a hard thing to say. I mean, I think since maybe something like Cocktail, which by now has probably made $300 million just in ironic watchings <laughs> or whatever. But I think I think it's one of those things where for the past at least 25 years, I think uh, a Vanilla Sky, maybe Vanilla Sky didn't make as much money as they thought it was going to make, you know, uh, shit like that. But for the most part, when he and we're going to talk about it, live, die, repeat, that sort of thing. Those were perceived, uh, that last one especially, was perceived as an actual bomb. Mm. But if you look at that, he's got 50 fucking acting credits, and we just listed four things. Yeah, And I one mean, of legend... which made a gang of money. That Mission Impossible that sucked made oh, yeah. a gang of money. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, Legend didn't make great movie uh, money, but that, of course, was 1985. That was also at that weird time where that wasn't necessarily a Tom Cruise movie. Like, he was the star of it. Don't get me wrong, but it was it was yeah. like he was cast in a Ridley Scott fantasy project. It wasn't like Ridley Scott developed a fantasy project for him. You know what I mean? That was sort mm -hmm. of the pre-movie star version, which is a little bit of an unfair distinction. Like you should still be able to carry it, whatever. But that was around the same era when he was making very unexpected blockbuster hits. So I think we can forgive him legend. The bottom line is when you become a movie star, you'll always have some flops because you're doing so many movies. It's like, how many shots does Jordan take? Like 58. Nobody thinks about that. <laughs> Nobody thinks about that part at all. This motherfucker be 13 for 47, but he shoots the last one and wins the game. Oh, what a great guy. It's oh, like you, wanna... it, you, you got to have a lot of bites at the apple to be a true movie star. You're going to have what's his name? Fat boy from the past. Babe Ruth. Oh, he, yeah. fucking, he, he fucking struck out so much to get all those home runs. Absolutely. Yeah. And night and day still made two hundred and sixty two million dollars. So there you go. There well, you I mean, go. I was almost going to say I was almost going to say it's it's a testament to his movie stardom that a movie like that, which is not remembered fondly still is successful and mm -hmm. still you have top of mind awareness of it even though like as a product it's totally forgettable but the mm -hmm. fact that it's tom cruise and cameron diaz and there's you know certain shots or sequences or whatever even from trailers that just stick in your head that's a testament to his movie stardom um and, and to your point ed about having to take swings at the plate in order to hit a certain number of home runs I think the fact that you can weather some some strikeouts and still be one of the biggest movie stars on the planet is another testament to your movie stardom because there are a lot of people who were hot for five years and then their star faded quickly. And mm -hmm. it is something to be Tom Cruise who has literally been 
one of the biggest stars on the planet since the mid 80s, if not the early 80s. It's just crazy. Yeah. Um, well, I, my question for you guys, uh, do you remember your first Tom Cruise movie? Do you remember what it was? Ooh, interesting question. That that really is because that that again speaks to homeboys movie stardom, especially for people of a certain age. I don't think people who worship Tony Bennett are having this same conversation about Tom Cruise. So uh, so take that with a grain of salt. But for people in our age or twenty or thirty years before or after our birth, for people in that exact area of age, it seems like he's always been there. Especially in my life, I feel like he's always been. A guy. Ever since I've been able to watch TV, he's been a guy. Yeah, I can't. I can't put my finger on it, but it's one of two things. It was either Rain Man on VHS, mm-hmm. which I was watching at a young age, just probably ah. because one of my parents was like, "Oh, this is just a phenomenal movie." I want to say like my dad, who's not a big you know movie goer, identified that as like this is just a great movie, probably because it had a you know a message about family, which is going to resonate with my dad. Um, and so I remember watching that as a kid on VHS, you know, probably when I was like seven, eight years old, or it would have been in that first Mission Impossible in the theater when you could hear a goddamn pin drop when he's breaking into Langley to steal the knock list hanging from the ceiling on those ropes. Still one of the most visceral moving going experiences of my life i can remember the feeling of being in that theater and having one of those weird out-of-body experiences where you're you're so in the moment that you're sweating and your heart rate's up and you can't peel your eyes away but also some part of you is kind of floating above yourself and going oh my god like i've never been in a situation like this before where there's like 200 people in this theater here on this opening weekend and like nobody's breathing it's so weird um Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's one of those two things for me. I don't know if it was Rain Man on VHS or Mission Impossible in the theater, but those were my first time cruise. Um, it's funny because mm. I'm pretty sure mine uh, was Color of Money mm. um, because my dad loved pool. Mm. Um, and so he took me to this Color of Money, which was, uh, I believe, a sequel to The Hustler, I want to say. Yeah. Like, like a 30 year or like not 30 year but like a many many years later sequel uh to the hustler uh and he was amazing in that and then of course i saw you know which i think is probably going to be ed's top cup in 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 the theater um yeah yeah that was a drive-in theater one for me by the way you know i might have i think my first 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 tom cruise is probably some babysitter showing me risky business on cable. Mm. Ooh, that's yeah. probably the first one. Just because it was like it was like at that point it was an old movie, but it was still cool. And you could like when he slide across the floor and he's doing this, that, and the other, and he's got his fucking, you know. I mean that. I you know what I the guy who made that. I'm not gonna look it up right now, but the guy who made Ricky Risky Business. I think he's made like one or two movies. And the guy had a vision and his mm. usage of Tom Cruise in that movie. Tom Cruise normally doesn't seem to be able to play innocent. He can play sort of guileless, but he also seems to play this sort of like, ah, I'm always winking at you. I'm always, always got some. He's a man with a plan. Yeah. 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 He's, he, he reeks of that. Right. But in risky business, he's just a dumb kid trying to have fun. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I just felt like, 
that being the first time I saw him, it was revelatory later when I found he could do other stuff. And even in that movie, they're using his precociousness. You can see the man he's going to grow up into being. Like, he had a great plan. My mom and dad are gone. I'm going to have a hooker over and lose my virginity because I can't take it anymore. (laughs) And it just spirals out of control. But You know what I mean? I just... That movie's fucking great, and it doesn't get enough props in these days because people maybe think of it as old-fashioned or something. But when you really look in the, the genre of teen comedies, having your protagonist be fucking Tom Cruise, having the woman he's in love with be Rebecca De Mornay in the 80s, mm. and that story still works. A, a, a kid could go through the story of Risky Business today. It's straight up. Well, also, like, mm-hmm. uh, one, of the, one of the first – one of the first hooker with a heart of gold moments in cinema predating pretty woman. Huh? That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's a trope that has, you know, since become kind of comedy in the, in the way that people think about it. But yeah. So Tom Cruise from the get go for me, and I never saw really uh, stay gold pony boy, all that uh, outsider stuff until way later. So I wasn't introduced to him through that, but yeah, top gun really was seminal after risky business to leap from that to top gun. It was probably the first time my young mind had seen somebody like grow up before my eyes or whatever the fuck, you know, mm. they say, because because to see he, and he was totally different. That's how I knew he was a pretty good actor because Pete, you know, uh, Pete Maverick Mitchell is mm-hmm. different than that dumb kid in Risky Business and very different from a lot of the roles he was playing at that time before he got his teeth fixed and shit that <laughs> the, the, the fucked up teeth era. Oh, yeah. Pete is so different than the fucked up teeth era, guys. You know what I mean? On a macro level, it's worth appreciating. He's actually a very good actor. And we'll get yeah. into this, I think, as we progress through his career. But just want to echo that, Ed. Like, he is able to bring a wide variety of different people to life in these movies, even if they're these sort of popcorn throwaway roles. Um, he does a good job differentiating them. Mm-hmm. And he's got his limitations, yeah. like all actors. Sure. But people kind of malign him for being a movie star. It's like same thing with Brad Pitt. People really just refuse to give Brad Pitt his his flowers as far as acting ability because it just seems like he goes through life and he's being awesome and he's all this kind of shit. I think they, they I think that's something that they share. But Tom Cruise is just as big as Brad Pitt is. He's not fucking with Tom Cruise. Well, <laughs> We're talking about Tom Cruise. I mean, if you want to get into this, for me, the thing that I think sets Tom Cruise apart, like I just watched that movie, The Gray Man, the new Russo Brothers movie on Netflix, and it has mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans, both mm-hmm. two of the biggest movie stars of today, right? Both guys I like a lot, and both guys who I know can really commit to roles and sell their roles and have been different types of guys. But there are still moments Chris Evans, Ryan Gosling, Brad Pitt, where you're watching it and you're just like, oh, that's Brad Pitt having a good time. Like, I love Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but there are moments in that movie where it's like you almost you're almost watching the behind the scenes of like, oh, look at Brad Pitt having a good time with that role. I never see that drop in commitment with Tom Cruise. Like, I never see Tom Cruise abandoning whatever character it is and just having a good time as Tom Cruise. And some of that is maybe weird because it goes to that thing of like Tom Cruise is this weird personalityless cipher. You know, you you don't even really know who Tom Cruise is as a guy because he's so manicured for the masses. But I think that helps in watching him. Like even at times where it's breezy and fun and we're all having a good time watching the movie, it still seems like, there's Tom Cruise putting in a hundred percent effort to be this character. 
You know what I mean? Like he doesn't mm. break in that way where it's just like, oh, yeah, look at that. Brad Pitt had a good time with that scene. I never find myself sitting back and going, oh, man, Tom Cruise had a good time with that scene just because he's so goddamn committed on screen. Well, and last night, yeah. uh, Ariel and I started to, to Ariel hadn't seen Top Gun before. Mm. So we watched Top Gun. And I got to tell you, there's that scene. There's a scene where he finally goes to dinner with uh with the with the girl and they're they're not touching each other but he's doing and she is as well by the way both of them are nailing their parts so hard that like ariel was like this is like really hot Mm. because even they were not touching they did not kiss at the end of the scene in fact he gets up and leaves and just says oh i had a thank you thank you i had a, a a wonderful time and then he gets up and leaves on their first date ariel was like that is so hot. They just had a great conversation. And his face had so many emotions behind it. Like you could tell that the character was thinking, I really like this person. Normally I would be already up in this, but this is not what I'm doing here. And like there were layers to what he was thinking about while he was doing the acting. And it just felt like a real scenario. It feels like a real date that you're hanging out on. It was, it was pretty impressive. I miss that era of movies when like actors could have that kind of chemistry because like movies are so kludgingly obvious now that it's like, yeah, people are just getting hot and heavy or having the Han Solo uh, princess Leia like, oh, they're bickering, but we know that they really like each other. Like romance has become so staid in movies like I miss hot chemistry between actors where you're just like, were these people fucking behind the scenes? Because like, <laughs> man, I'm feeling, like you just don't get that much anymore, which I kind of bemoan. Well, there's not really yeah. enough space in a lot of stories to let scenes like that breathe. Cause like you're in some, yeah. uh, you know, I don't want to say Marvel movie, but a movie that has a lot of action, like every seven pages, something has to happen, man. Some of those scenes where people are smoldering take like, they're like probably four, pa- four pages on mm-hmm. on a, on a screenplay and that equals about six seven minutes you know what i mean and uh, these movies these days don't don't budget that time for like budding love doesn't get seven minutes anymore it just definitely doesn't ever yeah and, and and some of those scenes are way quicker than that but they seem that way they're cut in such a way that they're not it's not a cut every second but it's just like they're very deliberate in what they show you, and that suggestiveness is kind of gone. They're like, smash zoom on some tits, smash zoom on a dick. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, not, it's not all this. In the, but, in the world of Pornhub, no one has patience. <laughs> no one, no one. Fuck that romance. That's, yep, that's it. That's it. We all want to skip to the end, as, as, as Seinfeld used to say. They want to, anybody can win a NASCAR race if you cut across the infield. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so so just to focus us, the the thing about Tom Cruise that sets him apart from other actors, uh, we've identified one of them, and that is a seeming commitment and not without being a method actor or any of that bullshit. Right, his commitment seems to come through in his in his acting style and stuff. And I would I would uh, I would add one thing. Um, we, part of the commitment is the physical stuff. I, we're, I, mm. I don't know that we're the podcast that has the knowledge or the wherewithal to to like talk for 50 minutes about all these goddamn stunts he'd be doing and shit because a lot of people conflate doing a lot of your own stunts 
and doing some things that are dangerous for an actor mm. with doing your own fucking stunts, which nobody besides fucking Jackie Chan has ever done. So let's kind of like try to line up the actual line of demarcation. He is the baddest ass actor, but I'm not putting him on Jackie Chan level. The problem is with American safety regulations, he is the Jackie Chan of America. He is the closest thing America has produced since Buster Keaton in regards to an American, uh, you know, doing his stunts actor dude. People might argue Bruce Lee, but I'm talking about a 50 film filmography here. One thing that contributes to that is that starting with, I believe it was Mission Impossible 2, Tom Cruise has produced all of his own movies. So for like the past 20 years, Tom Cruise has been his own boss. And he's on record as saying like one of the reasons why he does that is that it allows him to have more say so over like what insurance risks and safety risks they're going to take when they're making the movie. Mm -hmm. And the reason that he wanted that say so, and again, it's something you got to give him props for. He has a very innate understanding of the set piece. He has a very innate understanding of like what makes the audience's hair stand on end, um, which is one skill among many for a good producer. But I would argue it's a, it's an aspect of taste that's very hard to cultivate. That idea of like, if we do it this way and if we shoot it this way, that's the best possible way to do that. You know what I mean? Like mm. n that is, that is at the heart of really good filmmaking is being able to make those calls and be right for the vast majority of people. Um, He's great yeah. at that. And because he had the confidence in himself to say, like, I know what works. I know what you need to do to achieve those moments that stick with people. I got to start producing my own movies so that I can make sure that things are done the way I want them to be done. On the one yeah. hand, that's also megalomaniacal, but like you can't argue with the results. He knows that he shouldn't direct. He mm -hmm. is fucking humble enough can you imagine having that much control over your image over your productions over uh the financing and all this different shit and not wanting to also direct talk about megalomaniacal and for the streets he, he i think he takes his producing remember he was yelling at those fuckers for fucking up their covid masks and shit yep and he's like we have to save cinema and he's giving this big goofy speech he really feels that. He really feels like I can save cinema. I can keep people's jobs and keep their their union dues paid from my productions and their kids to go to college from my productions. I could feel this army for my life that I could take with me like Alexander as we conquer the box office over and over again. He but, sees himself that way. 100%. But also he sees himself as a person who know who wants to make people enjoy movies. That is Super important to this dude. When you read interviews with a guy, he talks about how important it is for people to have a great time when they go to a movie to really feel something like that stuff is, I think, is also one of his main things. It's like, yeah, he wants to save the box office, but he wants to save the box office because he wants people to really see what he sees when he goes to movies. I feel like this guy's an actual fan of movies. 
if if I oh, were very, if, if yeah. you know what I'm saying, yeah. very much so. It, he is a weird character because both of what you guys are saying is is true. And if you look at it, like he's a populist who believes all of his own hype, right? Everything from like I am going to save this industry and make sure these people can eat and feed their kids and send their kids to college. Everything that Ed said. And I'm going to save this experience for the masses, this thing that's important for the world. Yeah. And and yet, despite all that, yeah, to your point, Ed, he also knows his limitations and knows how to stay in his lane mm-hmm. and doesn't get too big for his britches, which is kind of crazy. That's you know, crazy to me, dude, because like, I'm telling you, as soon as that motherfucker Clint Eastwood could color time it himself, lick all the stamps to pay everybody's paychecks, direct it, star in it, write it, and do his own makeup, do his own dust effects and aging, as soon as he <laughs> could do that, he did it. As soon as he could do that, he did it. And Tom Cruise is like, nah, I'm going to get with the Hitchcocks and the fucking whatevers of my day. And 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 even even Doug Lyman, him choosing Doug Lyman to be in um lived I repeat I keep calling it that but what the fuck was it called in Edge of Tomorrow Edge, Edge of tomorrow. fucking Tomorrow yeah. dude him going with Doug Lyman Doug Lyman who did Go and different things like that and, and and even you know the Bourne movies but I think he saw something get him and saw that that his style would be good for a sci-fi movie and Chris his his relationship with Christopher McQuarrie is oh. is 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 uh, De Niro and Scorsese in. In regards to, or you know, this type of filmmaking. Look, by all accounts, he's an excellent collaborator, which again mm-hmm. is crazy. Crazy. <laughs> by by all accounts, the guy's a megalomaniac. But then when you look at it granularly, he's incredibly loyal to these uh, to these writers, producers, and directors that he works with. Every time he brings new actors into his project, he's both loyal to the actors and is constantly trying to hype up those actors, raise their profile. Like, give them some of his shine. Like, the only thing that's important to this guy is making big, great movies. And, like, everything along the way. It's so weird. Like, how does he not take any of it personally? Like, that's so... He takes it personally enough to, like, want to do a good job. And he buys his own hype to really believe in everything he's doing. But then he doesn't take it personally enough for his ego to get in the way of anything that he's doing. That's nuts. That's absolutely nuts. It is pretty crazy. I. It just makes you think that there might be something wrong with him. I think honestly. there is. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I think, like he's a sociopath, but he's not the wrong wrong kind of sociopath. I don't even know what it is. There's something that's just enough off about him that allows him to do all of that, which is well, bananas. And you know what's really weird? I, I'm realizing right now, I know nothing about where this guy comes from. I know yeah. nothing about his family life. For as high a profile of a media profile as he's had uh, for 40, 50 years now, I know nothing about where his love of movies comes from. Like, he doesn't have any sort of origin story that's out there in the public. Like, I don't know who his parents are. I don't know if his parents got divorced. Well, I don't like I know nothing. Do you know his full name? Uh, I know it's it's Mapother because his cousin yeah. is uh, that character actor who was on Lost and shows up in a lot of things. So yeah, it's yeah, Thomas Thomas William Mathaper Mapother or something. Thomas Cruz Mapother the fourth. Okay, uh, there it is. So there's been three of them before him. Uh, that might say something. 
Just uh, that name makes you think he comes from money, but I genuinely don't know. Yep, I don't know either. And let me say, I want to say also what's interesting about the guy is, is like, okay, so for instance, there's a couple of stories that I think are pretty interesting that I think talk to about what kind of fan of movies he is and about this ego thing you're mentioning. So he had never been in a Western movie because Young Guns was filming over by where he was filming something else. He just went over and was like, Hey, could I just do something in this movie? I've never been in a, I've never been in a Western. I've always wanted to do it. So they shoot him off a roof. He gets killed. And, and that's in, that's in 1985, 88, uh, 88, when he had already done, Top Gun, Color of Money, Cocktail, all which did like insanely well. Oh no, and he's he at he's at the exact same star level as the stars of that movie, which was like Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez. Like they're yeah. all on the same star level. And then also, you know, when he plays uh, Les Grossman in Tropic Thunder, a movie that uh, when you go back and watch does not age as well as one might hope. But <laughs> uh, he is hilarious in that, and that was his idea. He wanted, he thought it would be great to have some weird executive in it. He like did the whole thing about what the guy should look like and the whole character. And it's probably the funniest part in the movie. Well, first of all, Tom Cruise just needs to play more villains. I would between mm-hmm. Tropic Thunder, yes. Collateral. Mm-hmm. And if you've never seen Collateral, you are missing one of the great all time Tom Cruise performances between Tropic Thunder, Collateral and Magnolia. Tom Cruise as a villain is one of the great underutilized resources in all of cinema. The other thing about Tropic Thunder, though, is that his, not demands, but his vision for that character were so specific that he, like, had instructions for the makeup department that he needed to have fat, hairy hands. Like, he, he, Mm -hmm. that's, that's how he wanted to play the role with fat, hairy hands. And, like, It's just, I mean, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. One of the great moments from that movie for me is like, he go, you know, he, Matthew McConaughey plays this kind of like feckless people pleasing agent. And so they're on the phone with uh, Ben Stiller's kidnappers. And then Tom Cruise is like, give me the phone. And he gets on the phone and just like tears into this who like Indonesian terrorist who's just looking on the other end. Like, what the fuck is this guy even talking about? And he's like, you have 24 hours. I will put, chop you up and feed you to your children. But he hangs, he hangs up. Matthew McConaughey's like, holy shit. And Tom Cruise, <laughs> this had to be an ad lib. He just turns to his assistant and was like, find out who that was. And it was just, <laughs> to me, <laughs> that was the most genuine Hollywood shit because that is exactly how those mega producers are. Like a guy like Scott Rudin will be like, you don't fucking talk to me. I will end your career. And then hang up and be like, who was I talking to? I don't, I don't even know who I was talking to. It just kills. The nuance of that just kills me. I love it. Well, and uh, and the thing, the only things I, I have been able to, uh, to, to, like, looking at, like, wiki and different shit like that about his upbringing, it seems as though it's a classic. Uh, my dad is in like defense engineering or some bullshit. I yeah. moved around a lot. Me mm. moving around a lot made me always the new kid. Uh, he was sort of a Catholic head, so he wanted to become a Franciscan priest for a little while. And that all you see that that sort of like people pleasing, people pleasing, but needing something to focus you. 
Mm. He, he uh, pre, trying to be a priest, trying to play football, got kicked off the team, trying to try. He, he did a lot of things to try to focus all that energy and sort of find himself falling out of it or coming short of it. Like, I'm not as dedicated as you would want a priest to be. I drug he drunk beer before a game and got kicked off the football team because he wasn't. Did, so the, all, all this different young guy shit. But then when he starts to be like to decide that he wants to act. In the in the early early eighties and gets in some of the ensemble films like the like you know um, uh, outsiders and shit like that and from then just I think uh, I think Top Gun and like something else awesome both come out in the same year showing him be two vastly different characters. The Color Money and Top Gun both came out in nineteen eighty six. That's but what I was thinking about. After that, okay, so now Cocktail, which lo- people love to make fun of, but did really well, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rain Man, born on the 4th of July, Days of Thunder, which, by the way, uh, if I was to pick my guilty pleasure, Days of Thunder is my guilty pleasure. I don't know if that counts as a guilty pleasure because I think people judge it badly, but I fucking love that movie. And I don't even like racing, and I love that movie. So, yeah. Uh, then you got A Few Good Men, The Firm, Interview can with we, the Vampire. Can we stop? Like, those last couple movies before Mission Impossible, I think are worth talking about. Like, sure. A, a Few Good Men. That was one of those, it was like a meme before a meme. That whole Tom mm. Cruise versus Jack Nicholson showdown with, mm. you can't handle the truth. Like, that was so ubiquitous in the early 90s that I think that was kind of instrumental in catapulting him to a whole new level in his career. The fact mm. that, like, he went toe-to-toe with Jack Nicholson, who was sort of, like, the heir apparent to a guy like Paul Newman. Right. Like just Mm -hmm. everybody knows this is a whole other level of movie star. And you put Tom Cruise in a movie up against him and it's like they're on equal footing and there's something about that. And it's so memorable that there's just something about it. And then we lose sight of it now. But interview with the vampire with having Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt together in that movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was like that was the panty dropper blockbuster of the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and again, it's like by the time you even get to Mission Impossible, you have to understand this guy was the movie star of the 90s already. Like Mission Impossible was almost a weird little sidetrack in his career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, my panties I- dropped for Interview with the Last Vampire, so I just want to point that out. <laughs> that was a pretty great movie. It was pretty sexy. I, I think, but okay, let, let's okay, let's 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 try to get real for a second, though. This continuous blowjob. Just just stop for one second and go. That was one of those where I feel like he, in trying to stretch himself, got miscast like a motherfucker and yeah. just let it happen. And that, you know, I think one of his greatest strengths later on in his career is always knowing how to not miscast himself until we get to Jack Reacher, um, which I think is an an example of of the megalomaniacal. This is the thing. His megalomaniacalness is like the fin of a great white shark. It strikes fear in a lot of people's hearts, but you rarely see it. Great whites come up from the bottom and slam you and kill you. You know what I'm saying? You don't, you don't really see the fin a lot. His megalomaniacalness pops up every now and again and then go and then recedes. He learns from his hubris. Yes. Which is which again is just a crazy thing. Like, I don't know other human beings you can say that about. Like, talk mm-hmm. about one of the rarest qualities in anybody. He learns from his own hubris. So it's like the couch. Yes. Lestat trying to be like steamy, sexy, overtly sexual fantasy creature Mm 
he did not pull that off, even though that movie was huge and there was like a huge oh, buzz around that I'm, movie. I'm just going to I'm going to have to push back. I love you guys, but there is not a woman from that era who did not think that Tom Cruise pulled that didn't pull that off. Not one woman would argue they all loved that, and they all went to that fucking movie. That was ask, the ask Twilight. Ann Rice. Ask Anne Rice what she thought about that shit. Ask a lot of the people who actually read the books and would sabotage conversations about it like you did with the Twilight thing. People who care that much. People no, I, who care I, that I, I much know. hated it. And I just have to acknowledge that. And like when 100%. I look at it, when I look at it, I think both of them are frankly miscast. So mm -hmm. I, I shouldn't have just thrown uh, uh, Tom under the bus. Uh, I think both of them are actually miscast. But at the same time, who the fuck else you got to cast in that? It was like having goddamn, you know, whoever the fuck was the big cowboy before John Wayne and him in, in the same movie or whatever. Or or like or even having up uh, uh, Robert Redford and uh, Paul Newman and Butch Cassidy the Sundance Kid. You'd have to do that. If you're casting the Butch Cassidy and, and Sundance Kid at that time, you have to have Paul Newman and Robert Redford, even if they're miscast. You have to do it. Well, and I think my point being, though, that like that he doesn't he gets lukewarm buzz. Right. So he gets a mixed reaction to that. And he's never gone back to that. Well, the Oprah couch jumping incident, like suddenly oh, yeah. he's going to be effusive and out in front of everybody about his personal life and his relationships. And it does not go well. And literally since that moment, you have no idea what is going on in that guy's personal life. It is under lock and key. And I think you see that even the Jack Reacher thing, right? Like I'm going to, I'm going to launch my own franchise here in the midst of, you know, the franchise revolution and blockbusters. Um, and it does not go well. So what does he do? He goes back and doubles down on the things that are already working and goes, you know what? Maybe I don't need to, uh, keep collecting these infinity stones. Let me just go back to the ones I already have and exploit them to their fullest. You know what I mean? It's like he makes these little, I don't know if you want to even call them micro adjustments, but he makes these subtle adjustments to the trajectory of his career that just forever keeps him relevant. Even if he needs to eat shit for a year or two, he just makes sure that he doesn't make the same mistake twice. And the discipline and the self-awareness that takes is very laudable. It is because uh, I certainly don't do that. No, it's hard. And I mean, especially, especially for someone, you know, we've said this before, but it's worth coming back to for someone like him that has a lot of justification for having an ego and has the ability to surround himself with yes men and has the siren call of just resentment and like, oh, fuck people for not understanding. He never seems to resort to any of that. It always seems to be this very methodical, like, okay, that didn't work. Why didn't that work? People don't see me this way. I don't work doing this. I got to do it slightly differently. So I'm going to do it. I need to take a break so that I'm not doing this so that people don't remember this thing. And when I come back, it needs to be totally different. So that's what I'm going to do. Like that level of self-discipline. The one thing I'll say is like, there is a reason why this guy has a reputation for being, you know, kind of a psychopath, kind of an unrelatable human being. because. All that is very rare. I'll just say that. It's very unique. You don't well, meet a lot of people who function that way. I think the, the, the thing, reason why we're talking about him as the greatest, is he the greatest, is one of the words we use on this podcast a lot is apotheosis, meaning the ultimate almost form of something, the ultimate expression of an idea. And Tom Cruise is the apotheosis of a movie star. Movie mm. stars have to do, they have to put butts in seats. 
They have to put people in jobs. They have to uh, put screenwriters on the map for for unproven, sometimes unproven ideas and shit. And they also have to collect writers, as Bill was talking about, writers and directors like Infinity Stones to use for their different shit. Jack Reacher, both the Jack Reachers, I think, were directed by Christopher McQuarrie. And they did, mm. and they they weren't good enough to be whatever. But you notice how he stopped making Jack Reacher movies with Christopher McQuarrie and started making Mission Impossible movies with Christopher McQuarrie, and that was like boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. just a genius to take this guy who made two flops with you for your comparative level of stardom, two so called flops with you. Take that guy, put him on your best thing you have in your quiver, your best franchise you've ever been a part of. Yeah, and use him to do that and make it better. They, the Mission Impossible movies have taken a limitless pill since Query has been working on them, frankly. And it's like that's kind of fucking amazing. And I also just want to bring uh, uh, the two thousands. He got hit in the nuts like like goddamn uh, James Bond at the end of Casino Royale. Oh, he yeah. got hit in the nuts over and over. I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna read it off because it's really interesting. Fucking uh, besides the Mission Impossible and shit, Vanilla, Vanilla Sky. People didn't understand it. Minority, Minority Report. Uh, great concept. People kind of kicked him and Spielberg in the nuts over its execution. Uh, Last Samurai seemed to be an unqualified success. Probably didn't make as much money as they wanted to, but it was you know a period piece and a lot of acting buzz and shit like that. But then we get to like Collateral, which doesn't necessarily underperform. But what it was at that time was sort of was people didn't get right? it. yeah people didn't get it it was it was a very low key movie and I mean it is a low key movie like it, it's not a blockbuster it's a slow right. burn thriller that is not even super hot on action it's really more of a character study so mm-hmm. yeah I get that and meant to be a small movie shot on digital cameras at night so that we can kind of move with the story and all this kind of jazz uh, night and day then we get the Jack Reachers which we talked about. Then after the Jack Reacher uh, joint, fucking Oblivion 2013, oh. that movie sucked. By the way, though, directed by Joseph Kaczynski, who just directed Top Gun Maverick. Ex- who killed it on that? See? that's uh, Oh, God. God damn it, Bill. Yeah, it's a great point. And then uh, Edge of Tomorrow, which we're going to talk about in depth in a minute. And yes, uh, the Kaczynski-led uh, Top Gun Maverick of 2022. So I'm just saying, like... To come out of that free fall and then have in between that those uh, Mission Impossible movies, he just he just uh, and War of the Worlds is misunderstood as well. Last things last about things he hasn't necessarily gone back to. I don't think that Tom Cruise is gonna fuck with every man shit anymore. Lightweight, he don't fuck with shit on Earth no more. Unless he's a secret yeah. agent, he don't want to be on Earth. But I'm saying he's not going to do some every man. I chew my pencils. I got to pick up my kids guy. I don't think he's ever going to do that again because in War of the Worlds, he literally was that guy. And that was what's so magnificent about the movie to see Tom Cruise trying to approximate a human for once instead of a (laughs) mythical figure. Number one, a Tom Cruise quote unquote flop flop is not a flop by most people's standards. And I mean, that one had the extra added uh, pressure of also being a big Steven Spielberg summer blockbuster. So it's like, you know, the buzz around it is that it was a flop, but that that was still a profitable movie-making venture. It just was not the sort of, you know, career highlight that people think it should have been when you get, oh, Tom Cruise and Steven Spielberg collaborating together. Mm -hmm. That said, I, I actually really liked Tom Cruise in that movie. I think he sells the shit out of being, you know, sort of the shitty absentee dad just trying to figure out what the hell is going on. I But I love Tom Cruise playing against type. Like, I almost, part of me, 
I love the Mission Impossible movies, but part of me is sick of the Mission Impossible movies because like <laughs> that just feels like the easiest Tom Cruise role. Yeah. Which again is different than like Tom Cruise phoning it in. I don't think he ever phones it in. He always commits. But like to me, the greatest Tom Cruise roles are things like Collateral or Tropic Thunder or War of the Worlds even where it's like he can take his natural pro proclivity for both like intensity and underrated skills for comic timing and do something totally different than just like the hyper competent guy gets in over his head and like we we have a thrilling time watching him try to get out of it i don't know yeah he also mm. did american made did you guys see did you guys watch american made no yeah he played that a was smuggler the one, in that yeah that's a, based on a true story right yeah, yeah and he, american made's good it's a mm. good movie I, this is what's so interesting about the guy is like just him being in a movie makes it somewhat successful I don't know if there's anybody else that that happens with. I can't, I don't even know. It goes back to something I was saying earlier where his taste is great. And I think now it's honed to the point where you can almost just bet sight unseen that if Tom Cruise is in a movie, it's worth seeing. Not that it's going to be the greatest thing you've ever seen, but the guy picks projects and doesn't let them suck. That's just kind of how it works. He picks good material and then is as involved enough as a producer to make sure that it doesn't suck. Um, which again, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who else you could say that about in the modern era. And even when something that he's researched as vigorously as that does come out and suck, like Oblivion, he knows how to pick talent. Like as you said, that Kaczynski guy, the fucking Oblivion is based on Kaczynski's graphic novel. Hmm. Him or his handlers read a graphic novel, and that guy ends up directing Top Gun too. You know what I mean? Like just <laughs> being able to recognize that in somebody—it's fucking amazing. Well, I know I think Oblivion's interesting too because Oblivion was very much him trying to, um, <laughs> which I guess War of the Worlds was too, but trying to recapture the lightning in a bottle of Minority Report. Like, Minority Report was was a buzzy and big movie when it came out. Like, I don't think that was a failure by any means. And I think then the second Spielberg-Tom Cruise collaboration being War of the Worlds was a bit of a letdown by contrast. And I think Tom Cruise was trying to go back to the well of, all right, let me get on this, like, near-future, kind of concept-driven, interesting, semi-philosophical, you know, action movie that makes people think you know it's like kind of trying to trying to hit that matrix tip which i think that the that minority report certainly did um tom cruise was trying to go back to that well with oblivion and i don't you know it just arguably didn't work but like you see where his thinking is you see the strategy yeah the, the process is there even night and day him and cameron diaz technically should have worked Mm -hmm. Um, as even, even in a lightweight sort of, uh, with just sort of a, 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 a plastic world John Wick of these goofy assassins that come around and him and a lady handling them with ease while they fall in love. I could see why he thought that would work. But when you, and, and the James Mangold who directed that ended up going on to do, uh, like Logan and shit. You know what I mean? Yep. So, yeah. you know, he knows how to pick collaborators. And it's interesting, like, he takes swings. And again, it's none of this stuff seems ill-advised. 
Night and Day, I think, is a great example where at a time when him and Cameron Diaz were both two very bankable stars, he had the foresight to be like, you know what? Us in an action movie makes sense, but let's try and do a riff on Mr. and Mrs. Smith. If I'm not mistaken, Night Mm. and Day was, you know, not long after Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which was just an absolute unqualified runaway surprise hit. Um, You get the calculus of him trying to figure out what he's doing with any of these movie choices. And and Mm. I appreciate the fact that he tries things. You know what I mean? Like, he could just sit back and collect that Mission Impossible mo- movie money now, but it's like he keeps doing other projects and he keeps trying other things, which is, you know, it's again, it just speaks to the idea that like this guy is just a robot dedicated to making movies. Oh, no. What if he's from the future and he's <laughs> a robot come to give us movies? But come also if you want to be entertained. To <laughs> um well what about okay so the mummy that was a swing uh, we agree uh yeah it's it was a risk like it was you know you it's like i mean we had the brendan fraser mummy which i guess counts as successful uh but is also thought of as silly right i mean we it's successful because it's silly um and he tried to make a very serious mummy um did you guys watch that I did not. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't want to, my Tom Cruise love to be sullied by such things. <laughs> uh, I did see I, it, and and let me say this: uh, while I can agree with anybody else who saw it that it was not a great movie by any means, I I gotta say Tom Cruise was still good in it. Hmm. Interesting. That thing. That thing where you say that Tom Cruise never takes that. I'm having fun moment. You didn't see him do that once. He was that character in that movie being that character. And like, while it wasn't a good movie and the character was not a great character, he played the character well. Mm-hmm. So I, it's just another one of those exact things. And the mummy did okay considering, you know, like it still made money. It wasn't good and well, they didn't make another one, but you know why he didn't make another one? Because he's smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You know what? That that just made me think of this: a good movie and a bad movie look alike, like a wax statue of a person, a superstar, and a and that person standing next to it. They look yeah. that close alike, but once you start looking at the uncanny valley, the unnaturalness of the skin tone, or whatever the fuck that makes you understand that that's a person and that's a wax figurine. That's how hard it is to see because as a pile of paper, as a pile of spreadsheets about how much it's going to cost to go to Monaco and get a boat or whatever the fuck, as a pile of paper, as a pile of spreadsheets, as a pile of drawings, a bad movie looks exactly like a good movie. They look exactly alike Mm -hmm. and you have to be able to discern. And and the thing is, until you make it, there's no discerning. And by the time you done shot 500 pounds of footage of all this different shit. It's too late for you to be like, oh, well, I see now that this is bad. We should just shelve this mummy movie that we spent a billion dollars promoting. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So that, yeah, that that's a rough one, man. That that mummy shit is a rough one. But American Made, I wish we gave that more more shift. People just need to go watch yeah. it. I don't want to spoil it. It has so many cool things about the story that I don't want to spoil. But he basically plays like a like a pilot that gets involved in the drug game. 
And it's just awesome. Like him being a guy who needs something for once. It's nice. And, and, and you get to still see the thing of like, this is all I can do. I can see where he uh, connected to the story as in, I have a certain amount of troubles in my life, but I can do one thing, one special thing. I can fly. And, and I, and I have a couple of relationships. I have to do this for my family. So, you know, you can see how he connected to it as in, I have one skill and that's to act and be my own economy. (laughs) You know what I mean? You can see how Tom Cruise could connect to that. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, and look, we've mentioned mission impossible a couple of times, but I do think it's important that we mention that those mission impossibles, it took a TV show that was like kind of goofy and turned it into one of the biggest action franchises, if not the biggest action prizes franchises beyond besides Marvel uh, ever. Like, Well, and it's, it's worth noting that he has been very instrumental in sort of um, guiding and and constantly reinvigorating that franchise. Like the first movie for him, it was a, it was an acting job. Like that wasn't a movie that he developed. Um, It was very much a Brian De Palma movie and he was just brought in as the movie star. Um, I want to say maybe starting with the second one, like I want to say he was the one who was instrumental in bringing John Woo in to, to sort of reinvent the franchise. And then when that didn't do well, he was the one who brought in J.J. Abrams, who collaborated with them on the third and the fourth Mission Impossible, even though the fourth one, I believe, was directed by Brad Bird. Um, and then moving on from that to bring in Chris McQuarrie, first as writer and now for the past couple as director, including the ones that are coming out. Like, Tom Cruise has been the active producer who's making those decisions and courting those filmmakers. And when they sort of... um codified the formula of those movies where it was going to be you know ethan hunt and his team and bringing back those actors to have the continuity of the team and sort of establishing what the imf was and what their missions were and like that they had bosses and all this and all that like those were all story decisions that tom cruise was making for the good of making it a franchise having something that audiences sort of understand and can can connect to and if you if you look at what those movies are now, they bear very little resemblance to sort of the small, taut, almost psychological thriller of that first movie. And the reason for that evolution is 100% Tom Cruise's guidance. Hmm. Which is insane. Well, what's a bigger, okay, so what's a bigger, what's a bigger feat? Making, let's pick one Marvel character to put against uh, Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible movies. I'd put like what they've done with, let's say, even the Spider-Man character. He's had about four movies, three movies of stuff. I'd take the last three movies of fucking Mission Impossible and stack them up against those shits. Like, it's just it's kind of incredible that you're even playing in the same game as Disney giants and shit. That that's kind of insane. No, it's nuts. I mean, I would say Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man is kind of the only comparable franchise to Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible. Mm, And even that was buoyed by having so much other nonsense going on around him. Like, he very much was the bedrock of the Marvel Universe from phases one through three, and Mm -hmm. he had the big operatic ending and all that. But, like, 
nothing else has operated maybe vin diesel with fast and the furious but like that is so different and you know just the way it all works is so different i don't know nobody's really done what he's done with the ego that people say vin diesel has it's so it's so heartening that his movies are full of other people and these other people get to do a bunch of awesome stuff and i i can say the same thing about tom cruise he gets to do the dopest stuff but the other people get to do a, pretty, a bunch of awesome stuff, maybe less and less as the movies progress, because I think this I think this is him trying to kill himself, guys. I really I mm. think I think the combination this is the of this, suicide. Yeah. Yeah. This is I'm telling you, if Jackie Chan had been kept making movies in China, never came over here and got some fucking uh, uh, liniment for his knees or whatever. You know, what yeah. <laughs> he had kept doing that shit. He would have died over there. I remember when me and my me and my friends were talking about a basketball practice. Like, how you think Jackie Chan go die? You think he gonna try to jump up across the street one day? And he just ain't gonna make it because as you know, as little kid athletes yeah. and watching real athletes, your athleticism goes, and sometimes it's fast, and you mm. do not see. And so I, I say all that to say, Tom Cruise, if he's lost a step, I don't see it, and it's crazy. That's crazy as an athlete. He's getting better and better. As an actor, he's getting better and better. This is fucking stupid. <laughs> at this, he's like the LeBron of acting at this point. Yeah. I, I again, just think that his longevity and his taste and his ability to keep his ego in check, to, like, just keep progressing, you know, as the industry changes, as he changes, as, like, the demands of the audience change. He's just never fallen off the map in a way that like most big stars will and do and have. He's such an anomaly in the business. It's crazy. And we haven't even like, we, we should talk, we should talk about some of our favorite Tom Cruise movies too, because like there's so much interesting shit that he's done that like we haven't even mentioned in this conversation yet. Absolutely. I would love to do that. I do want to mention, he, and, and this is going to sound weird, but he actually reminds me of George Carlin. Uh, if you hmm. if you if you've watched the recent documentary mm-hmm. about George Carlin, you see this dude go through literally 60 years of comedy and he goes through so many changes. And each time uh, he gets better, fixes a thing, gets smarter and makes more sense as he gets older. Now, admittedly, he did way too many drugs, and I'm pretty sure uh, Tom Cruise is not coked out of his mind. But maybe? Uh, If he he is, he's doing a great job hiding it. Uh, But either way, I'm saying, like, I just, to me, it's a very similar thing where it's like this, this person who just, like, is paying attention and is constantly thinking, like, what can I do to become to be even better all of the time. And uh, and I do see him doing that. Um, so, since we were just talking about it, what what's your favorites? Favorite, favorite Tom Cruise movies? I mean, I'll jump in. One that we haven't talked about that is cliche, but I'm just in the bag for, and I just love, and I just think he's absolutely perfect in, is Jerry Maguire. Oh, yeah. Nice. You know, you can criticize that movie all you want, but again, perfect marriage of care of actor with director. That's Cameron Crowe. Tom Cruise jumps in, says, I want to work with this guy. And they make frickin Jerry Maguire 
which I believe uh, won Best Picture that year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, at, at, at the very least, I know it won uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. a uh, Best Supporting Actor uh, um, Oscar. Oscar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and again, was just at this time in his career when Tom Cruise literally could have done anything. And he chooses to do this weird romantic comedy drama about a football agent that wasn't based on a book or anything like that. Like just a weird choice. I mean, it's literally coming off the back of doing the first Mission Impossible movie. He does Jerry Maguire. And uh, it was it's a pitch perfect performance. It's one of those. He was nominated for an Academy Award. He didn't win. But it's one of those great American movie performances where it feels like you're watching the great American novel in movie form. It's like the character is so round, so flawed, so relatable, goes through so much. He sells every goddamn minute of it. And it's entertaining while also being heartrending, while also being funny, like Never has there been a better argument for like, look at this guy. He is a freaking movie star to me than that movie. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and I, what I'm impressed with, uh, with him is like, I wouldn't see him pulling off literally an entire just comedy, but when he has comedic moments, he nails it. He always nails it. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm super impressed with that. And Jerry Maguire was one of those movies where he just nailed all of his comedic moments and all of his emotional moments and it is a wonderful movie that makes you feel good at the end and who doesn't enjoy that right ed <laughs> i hate that shit <laughs> <She's> <laughs> fucking awful. um uh, i i you know i i think the mission impossible movies uh uh editors note look back at our uh episode with pat casey talking about mm-hmm. it are are the mission impossible movies the greatest action franchise uh he makes a great case and we talk a lot about the mission impossible movies in that podcast so if you'd like a more exhaustive talk about mission impossible go look at that uh at present uh i must trumpet edge of tomorrow man mm. it's just edge of tomorrow because i like story-wise you know a lot of these goddamn concept movies in the third act fall apart. It's the nature of the beast. But when you're in the fun and games portion of that movie, it can't be beat. It can't be beat. Groundhog Day with fucking with uh, action elements, a super fresh female hero. Uh, 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 the, the predicament of the hero is different than the guy in Groundhog Day, which is why when people do Groundhog Day movies, it's uh, become like a genre time loop fair. Each one should add something to the form. I saw one with Andy Samberg on fucking Hulu that added to the form. I think it's called Palm Springs. I think people should really go look at that movie. It's a time loop movie that adds something to the form. You must add something. Edge of Tomorrow adds the like, it's not just I'm stuck in a town and I'm living the same day over and over. I'm right before a major military invasion. If I don't convince these people to change the whole course of the war by the next time that I die or whatever, it's you know what I'm saying? It's going to loop back over or whatever, you know? I was yeah. just like, that shit is amazing to, to try to, because it, it elucidates the problem of, oh, I'm going to go kill Hitler. You're going to take your ass to Austria and whatever the fuck, 1940-something, and plop your ass down outside of Hitler's gates with 500 motherfuckers between you and him. 
there, there's not any opportunity for you as a normal dumb asshole to kill Hitler, you fucking idiot. That's why they always try to go back to the baby. Okay, how are you going to get inside the Austrian nursery and kill baby Hitler, you dumb motherfucker? That You can't. <laughs> Your plan is flawed from the get-go because you're one person trying to do something impossible. And that's the thing that's dope about Edge of Tomorrow. He's one guy with this knowledge and has to turn a whole army. And in that, He's a pussy, too. Yes, I was going to mention that. Yeah, he's a guy who's high in the army, but he's gotten past the shooting people bullshit phase. He was always sort of an executive of the army and has to actually become a soldier in order to change the tide of the war. And that's amazing. That's an amazing story. The commonality between Jerry Maguire and Edge of Tomorrow is like Tom Cruise's ability to handle a character's emotional journey in a way that feels so um, seamless and, again, committed and fulfilling from the beginning to the end of the movie. I mean, that really is the essence of great film acting. And, like, in a movie with so many moving parts as Edge of Tomorrow that's so complicated on a plot level and so technical on a filmmaking level, the fact that you still get this extremely satisfying love story this total character change, like you're saying, from being like this feckless pussy to being a hardened badass and like finding his purpose and finding ways to solve all these problems in just as satisfying a way in that in that technical marvel of a movie versus something that's as character driven on its face as Jerry Maguire. It just shows like Tom Cruise is the fucking greatest at this. <laughs> like he, yeah. the way he can carry a movie is just so awesome. And and uh, my favorite part about Edge of Tomorrow is that at the same time that he does become a hardened badass, he also becomes like a more caring individual at the same time. It's mm-hmm. almost like be- by becoming harder, he figures out the importance of life and 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 the best way to save it uh, on top of that. So that I just yeah, he just nails that. And, you know, I want and it brings me to my favorite, which is um, obviously Legend. Uh, Legend is obviously <laughs> my favorite. There's uh, a devil horns guy. He's wearing a, a fig leaf at one point. I believe there's a <laughs> unicorn. Um, so, you know, obviously that's uh, Ron Swallow's favorite. No, the problem is that Edge of Tomorrow is also my favorite. It's <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> as different as we are, Ron. And yeah. as, as it's, it's, a, it's a bridge between us because I think I, I, the heart part is a big deal. A lot of these movies have so many people kicking so much ass, but as we talked about on the Matrix episode with Fifi, as we talked about on certain Mythic episodes, where we talked about about all these action badass guys, unless there's somebody to save, unless there's some heart, and unless there's some evolution of the character, it is utterly empty. Except John Wick. Except John Wick. <laughs> Except John Wick. <laughs> Asterisk. Asterisk. <laughs> John John Wick's the only one who can withstand that. Cause I saw that goddamn John Wick trailer this weekend. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in there, man. I don't give a fuck what variants of monkeypoxes is popping off, man. I gotta be up in there to watch my boy. But anyway, and that's how I feel about Tom Cruise, though. Uh, I think Tom Cruise in anything gives me the feeling of waiting on a John Wick movie. They could say Tom Cruise is gonna be. The fucking Last Samurai 2, you know, where he, he chops cultural appropriation in half. I'll be like, fuck it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go watch it because he can sell anything. And I think he's so versatile. And so and, and I, I talked about his physicality earlier, but like 
I just am blown away by how physical even even movies where he's sitting down are. He is he acts with his whole body. Like he he acted really good sitting in one place getting jacked around in a plane. I felt like his acting was good when his half his mask was when his mask covered half his face in the cockpits. I felt like his acting was great. And uh yeah, that's what we got to talk about Top Gun Maverick right now. So yeah, who uh, who wants to talk about Top Gun Maverick first, guys? <laughs> I'm going to go first. I was less enthused about it than you guys were, so I'll just say that. But, you know, Tom Cruise wasn't the problem with that movie. <laughs> Bill, are we going to talk about I'm sorry. jingoism? Or are we going to talk about filmmaking no, no, no. art? <laughs> no, listen, listen. I, I don't I don't give a shit. Like I don't the, the jingoism <laughs> of that movie is it is what it is. Like I'm beyond the point of caring about that. I just felt like I watched that movie and I'm like, every goddamn person involved with this movie really, really brought their all for the last hour on screen. And everything leading up to it felt like nobody really gave that much of a shit. <laughs> I felt like the whole setup to that movie was sloppy, weirdly written, weirdly edited, weirdly directed. Even for all the praise I just gave him, I felt like Tom Cruise in his performance lost some of the emotional through line of the movie. And then in the last hour, it all came together in absolutely spectacular fashion. Um, mm. uh, to me, the seams of it being a movie that was rewritten, reworked, re-edited, reshot a bunch of times, um, COVID even notwithstanding, yeah, I could see all those seams when I watched it, and it it made it a lesser viewing experience for me. Okay, mm. that's fair. Uh, I I did not see that at all. What I saw, people complained about this with uh, Force Awakens, how it was sort of New Hope ish, mm -hmm. um, a lot. And with this, it did seem like it was like, hey, we're just gonna show you, we're gonna show you some Top Gun you saw before when you watched Top Gun, because the beginning is almost exactly the same. It's got the planes coming in. It's got all the stuff like that. Uh, then you got him doing cool stuff. And and then, you know what I mean? Like, and then, and then, and then. And then it leads up to what you're talking about, which is now the more original uh, stuff like that. Overall, really, really loved this movie. Here's Here's what's so great about it. I went in kind of thinking I would like it. And at first, while I was watching it, I was like, I don't want to like this. I don't want to like this. And then I just kept liking it. And and I don't know if that speaks to anything but Tom Cruise and the movie making capability that he is part of. But that's what really hit me while I was watching it was like I kept watching it and going, ah, something's I, I don't want to like this. But every single time I'd see a scene, a little face, a little moment between him and Goose's son. And then all of a sudden, ah. It's getting me. It's getting me, and I'm enjoying this. God damn it. That's basically what kept happening. And then also by the end, I was like, holy shit, this is insane. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know what? I think you guys saw the movie more or less the same way I saw it, but uh, you didn't recalibrate your sensors, right? <laughs> you have to recalibrate uh, your sensors. Go on. Go on. Watch it. Okay. Because check it out. There's the first scene. The first scene has them, and even if, the, even if you haven't seen the fucking movie, this ain't gonna spoil shit for you. The first scene has him walking into this super secret base 
or maybe riding a motorcycle to his base. I don't know. Anyway, he gets his super secret base and he's got his little skivvies on or not skivvies. He's got his little uh, flight suit on and his helmet and shit. And he's going to go in there. And he's going to fly this plane. And they tell him that our project's been shut down by the colonel or some shit. And you can't fly this plane. We've been shut down. And he goes, well, is the colonel here yet? And they're like, no. And he's like, well, fuck it then. We got enough time to do it, baby. And he jumps <laughs> in the plane. Now, dude, when they were telling him they couldn't do it, the looks on their faces, the way it was directed, the way they were acting, I thought they were playing some practical joke on Maverick. And then when he jumped in the plane, I was like, oh, they were serious. That's how people are going to act in this movie? And I just <laughs> recalibrated my shit. I just I just recalibrated. I was like, if okay. this is the tone they're going for in human interactions, like those those bar scenes with that lady, uh, the beautiful um, Jennifer, Jennifer Connelly, Jennifer Connelly, the beautiful ageless Jennifer Connelly in this bar. When you put a phone on the bar, you pay everybody's tab. There's eighty thousand motherfuckers in there getting twenty seven dollar <laughs> mics. Like, get the fuck out of here. That movie is the type of world where you walk in to pay your bar tab. And it's it's about this big because there are, every beer costs five dollars in this fantasy world. And this old lady has a Porsche she got from her dead husband or something. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's not real. It's a Dior commercial. And within that is this exploration of one dude's place in that world as it becomes less and less the Wild West that he was used to as he realizes that. He can't have a career progression like Iceman or any of these other guys because he's just too in love with flying and being. What's wrong with being what you are? Why mm. do you necessarily have to evolve every time? What if you are what you apotheosis of what you came to be? And now everybody wants to. Sh as soon as you get great at something, people want you to do something else. What the fuck, man? You know what I mean? So I, I could feel that coming off of this movie. You know what I mean? So like that, I really keyed in on stuff like that. I just recalibrated my shit to accept these Dior commercial performances that a lot of people had until I'd say about the last hour, hour and 10 minutes. Then all of a sudden these motherfuckers go from being an Iron Eagle to an actual modern movie. And I'm like, okay, wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the amount of times that somebody in that movie turns incredulously and scoffs at how amazing Tom Cruise is, is just hilarious. I mean, it, it, yeah, it well, is a, it is a heightened reality for sure. <laughs> for sure. Well, and let me say and, and, that was good. that was another one of my problems was my my biggest problem. I talked to Ariel about this a little bit after we went and saw uh, uh, when I came back from it. Um, and uh, she was I was telling her, like, one of my biggest problems was like they didn't pass the torch. Um, and I would have liked to see because the big thing in this was that uh, was that Goose's son had the skills but he was too timid and he wouldn't go for it. And we get to see that at the very end when he's with it. But Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise's character, I, I, and I don't look guys, spoilers. Okay. So take this moment. And if you don't like spoilers, fast forward for a minute, because I'm going to spoil this shit. Basically, uh, they eventually, he goes to top gun to train the next generation of pilots so that they can complete a mission. And, he uh to inspire them to show them that it can be done he steals a plane and does it and then they just make him lead the mission and uh i don't like that i know that sounds weird 
but it bugs me. And I know the story is about how cool Maverick is and how he's the guy who's above everybody else. And that he's the guy who gets things done. And he's the greatest pilot, even though he's literally 40 years older than all of the pilots in there right at that moment. He hasn't lost a step. He's still even better than them. I would have liked him to actually impart the knowledge that he had onto Goose's son. So then Goose's son runs the whole thing and has to maybe a little bit of a moment where he's too worried at the at the thing, then busts through that. And that's the moment. And that Tom Cruise is the one giving him, you know, the inspiration to do it. That would have liked I would have liked that better. I just want to say that. That being said, I still enjoyed the movie. I think that complaint, though, dovetails with what I was saying, where like, again, to me, this is blaringly obvious. And if you didn't get this more power to you, but like that script was originally written where Goose's son was the main character and through various drafts and development. And I I would have ventured to say probably even reshoots. They made Maverick the main character of the movie. Like, I guarantee you the original draft of the, you know, 30 years later, Top Gun sequel had Maverick as a mentor character and Goose's son as the protagonist. And somewhere along the along the way, Maverick became both the protagonist and the mentor character. And then they shoehorned Val Kilmer in there just so that it didn't seem like he was both those things completely. That's how it read to me, because that Miles Teller character was so central to everything while being Mm. such a (laughs) non-character. It was almost laughable. Like Miles Teller was essentially just Tom Cruise's MacGuffin in that movie. I don't know. The whole thing was a little weird and confused to me. And and what I'll say is you got to recalibrate your shit because <laughs> god damn it. Uh, the the thing that pissed me off about the complaints about the movie are I'm not complaining. like no 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 I'm 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 saying like but like I like actual complaints about the movie. Like, okay, one it's stupid because they having some fantasy war against some nameless enemy. Ouch. Motherfucker, they did that in Tom than the first one. They never yeah. name what the fuck country they're fighting. So stop nope. that bullshit. Oh, well, it's just like the other one, as in it hits all these same beats. Like he rides his motorcycle, he's sort of racing a plane on his motorcycle. He's a cool guy with a jacket, is basically Letterman jacket from high school or whatever. Uh, that is the equivalent of him still wearing that sort of jacket now. He should, you know, have a different coat, but no, he's still kind of living relive glory days. he's driving around like that and people are mad at that and i'm like my man if they eschewed those things or worse yet had miles teller do all those things Mm -hmm. first of all if they had miles teller do all those things you'd be like that's bullshit that's dumb that's just like the old top gun and if they didn't have anything like that in there at all motherfuckers would have came out the woodwork like goddamn tentacles and a hentai talk about oh this isn't top gun enough this isn't oh, yeah. good enough. So no, I don't right. want to hear. I don't want to hear shit about the way it rhymes, like Star Wars rhymes. Everybody getting a goddamn hand cut off and falling down a hole every fucking twenty years. Somebody get the hand cut off and fall down a hole. Certain certain things rhyme. The yep. whole fucking yep. point of the movie was that it was the cyclical nature of time, and that's why I I. I don't want to have a bone to pick with you, Ron. I don't want you to rip my head off, but I don't like this whole concept of like, you gotta be, you gotta age out and die and let these other motherfuckers. If we collaborated with fucking old people, that's the way to get it done. The old people that aren't totally insane or socially irresponsible have experience that we need and we eschew them because we assume that they've lost it. 
They, they're fucking basically, you know what I'm saying? They're the same age as your dad, and your dad's a pot-bellied slug. So obviously, Pete Mitchell's a pot-bellied slug who can't get it done. Wrong. You know what I mean? I don't think that either. But that's. But But look, I, I, my, my problem is, look, I have a, a a hate on for Ayn Rand. If you don't know that about me, I fucking hate Ayn Rand or Ayn Rand or whatever fucking stupid ass name is, and I hate, I hate this, this. One guy can make all the difference, and it's your amazing abilities that push you to the top, and that that is the only thing that matters. And that is what I got to see in that movie, and it bothered me. And that's just my problem with that. That's it. But it wasn't, though. That's what I'm trying to told your ass. It wasn't. Because at the end, number one, Pete doesn't do it on his own. He's got to have Teller's character to shoot the fucking bomb. And do the shit. He has to collaborate with the younger generation to even get the job done. In a true blue, what you're saying, they would have Miles Teller hanging out in a goddamn somewhere with a hole in his leg going, ah, Maverick, I knew I couldn't be as good as you. They did not do that. They both get into a fucking problem, have to fucking collaborate. He has the integral task to do to shoot the thing. And the thing in the scenario you talked about earlier, it's just Obi-Wan talking to fucking Luke again on the fucking... Kessel Run or the, the Trench Run or whatever. So I'm just saying, that's what I'm saying. Like, this movie does show clearly military lineage, the same military problems going on, the same people having the same sort of problems in the military, and them having to become brothers to actually complete the task. And there is a literal torch passing in regards to who gets to push the button to solve the problem and who needed to get the confidence. And he had the confidence in the kid to let him do that. Instead of taking over the entire task. And it also puts shoes in the, uh, the point for the oldsters that a guy in a shitty plane <laughs> can get it done. It's what one man can oh, do, dude. another can do. That was a cool thing about it. What one man could do, another can do. I think that's the opposite of the point you're making in regards to it's just one special man. No, if I'm in a plane and I am as good as I can be, I can beat somebody with better equipment and better everything than me because I got heart and pluck. Ain't that what we try to sell everybody every fucking movie with heart and pluck? Take heart and pluck up against a tank. You know what I'm saying? But we sell that all the time. And in this movie, we sold it again. So it, all you got to do is recalibrate. And it's all of a sudden a very underdog story. Because they kept talking about how good those planes were. No, that's true. That's and true. Let's, not for, let's not forget that, you know, the real hero at the end of the day was that one dude who looked like the buff, handsome version of Littlefinger from Game of Thrones, who uh-huh. was the douche. Who came through and like really saved the day at the end? Yeah, they um, gave Ace D. Slater a redemption arc in yeah. that movie. You know what I'm saying? So uh, again, so that's what I'm saying. When people start saying it's just it's just about him, he if the mission would have failed if he didn't impart his skills and his knowledge to the next generation, the whole mission would have failed. But it What's, also would have failed if he didn't hop in that plane because he was the only one who could do that. No, because the bureaucracy again. Sometimes there are individuals who go, I can do this. And bureaucracy will say, no one can do that. And then you got this motherfucker with the Fosbury flop, the motherfucker that ran the four minute mile. People, the people who, who let people tell them what they can and can't do are pussies and don't make any impact on life. And fucking Pete Mitchell was not going to let some shithead old man tell him. 
an old man that was 10 years older than him, by the way. Like, and, and Harris is like 15 years older, maybe, than Tom Cruise. But they make Ed Harris look like the fucking Crypt Keeper. Oh, yeah. Tom Cruise, <laughs> they, put, they put the Vaseline on the lens for Tom Cruise. Oh, okay? yeah. So, but understand, I'm just saying, like the old men, the actual old men who are ineffectual, told Tom Cruise he couldn't do something. And may that's and true. actually the the one that was kind of younger than him and John Hamm basically mm. conservatives basically conservative people told him he couldn't do it and he had to show him that he that that somebody could that it was possible that's what I'm saying like that to me that's underdog shit that's what I you know and and it was forced a lot of times because everybody seemed to th- to just throw I mean balls at him you know what I mean yeah. everybody hated him so much you know but you want to talk about making some contrived scenarios work again the ending yes. of that movie is just yes. fucking phenomenal where like yes. the multiple passes on the bombing gives everybody <laughs> a chance to shine and then multiple crashes the machinations that they go through to put tom cruise and miles teller in the same configuration as maverick and goose in the yeah. old plane yeah. and then fighting the new planes like i mean that shit was both ludicrous and amazing <laughs> ludicrously amazing see yes. now you've recalibrated no, but for, oh no i, 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 I totally I, agree from the beginning no no i i totally agree with both of you though that that they bent over so hard backwards to put up you know yet another old white man hero and jazz but i just think and this one it pulled it off with more elan than i've seen since things like john wick in regards to these sort of hollow empty action vehicles where we're just here for the choreography baby you know, I don't, do you believe for one second Tom Cruise is in love with that bitch? I Tom Cruise ain't had sex since candy bars cost a nickel. Get the fuck out of here. Oh, that was that was one of the I mean, speaking <laughs> of the chemistry between him and Kelly, whatever her name was, Kelly McCormick, I don't know. In the first movie, this was the opposite of that. That was right. the most sexless relationship <laughs> you could put on screen. It was. Yeah, so oh. so yeah, but uh but so that's kind of yeah, see, I'm glad we got to talk about Maverick. And in a in a in a complete fashion, because I think the people who saw it saw it, it was a Rorschach test for your personality, certainly. But like I said, as jingoistic and shitty and weird as it was, I just felt the the something physical about the production of it. And I'm telling oh you, man, God. after watching that movie, I got to sit through fucking multiverse of fucking madness. I got to sit through fucking all this shit shot on the volume. I got to sit through that goofy-ass Obi-Wan show. I got to sit through goddamn Thor, Love and Thunder. And when you look at these movies, I don't give a fuck if you like them or not. There's a distinct lack of physicality in those movies. The distinct yep. lack of actual physics in those movies. A distinct lack of anything real happening to anything else real. And there was a shit ton of CGI in Top Gun. Don't get it twisted. Shit tons. But it's mostly to take off decals and to do certain things. They're, the planes aren't doing this this uh, Independence Day. I got a fucking plane on a stick. I'm gonna throw it under a <laughs> throw it under a bridge real fast, way faster than any plane could fly. They have a ponderousness to them, even as they're being fast in most of the scenes. You know what I'm saying? So I just want to get shout out to the craft of making something real. Well, and let me say, if you ask me what I was rating this movie, it's like an eight. I don't fucking blast. Like, I had a great time at the movie. So, like, I, I just wanted to mention those couple of things that did kind of bother me. But let me also say, since we're talking about Tom Cruise, none of the complaints I had in that movie were about Tom Cruise, for the most part. I just felt, I just, again, I just felt like he nailed the role like he always does. He shows up. He's great at what he does. 
And uh, as but but here's the thing I'm thinking about, and I just wanted to mention this too. This is all awesome. Uh, he killed it in 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 Maverick. But what I want to say is what I think is interesting is that he's never going for an Academy Award. How many actors do you know who are out there trying to get their Academy Award? They're trying to get that one movie, that one role that's going to get them the 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 Oscar. I don't think Tom Cruise does that. I I think he just takes the role and does the very, very best he can with the role. And if he gets an award out of it, great. I don't think that's his goal. And I think that's uh, super interesting. I think the only two times he actually did it was um, uh, a a few good dudes or whatever the fuck that thing. And I yeah. And I think uh, Born on the Fourth of July. I think those two were definitely him trying to do Oscar bait. I was going to say, I think since the 2000s, maybe not. Although you could make the case that The Last Samurai was him trying to win an Oscar, which oh. is a very underrated movie. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think he, again, he knows his role. He's a crowd pleaser. Like, mm-hmm. and, and he is the last vestige of the old school Hollywood movie star. And he's going to take that role very seriously. And he's mm-hmm. going to keep that alive. I mean, that, I think in his, in where he's at in his career right now, that's his version of the Academy Award. That's what he's going for. It's mm-hmm. like, how do I keep this mystique and this luster alive, you mm-hmm. know, in the ch- in in the face of cinema changing and this entire mm-hmm. industry changing? Yeah. Oh, honorable mention Magnolia. That was another one I think he was trying a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm saying like, I mean, if you look at his output in the 90s, I think it's actually very um, actor centric, you know, between yeah. oh, in, in, far away. Entire... We didn't say nothing about far and away. Far and oh away. my god, I mean, that I mean, was Oscar bait. That was yeah. that when he, he where he, uh, that wasn't where he met Nicole Kidman. He met her on, I guess, Days of Thunder. But he he and she played a husband and wife in like ancient Ireland, not ancient, but you know, old timey Ireland, and they were poor and shit or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and, and speaking of him and Nicole Kidman as husband and wife, uh, uh, the Kubrick nice. film. Eyes, Eyes wide, wide shut. shut. Oh, that that's, was, that might be one too. I mean, that's I'm definitely one. Even even Jerry Maguire, you know, which was a great movie, but I mean, that's very much like I'm trying to get me an Oscar. So, in closing, uh, if you could describe the one thing about Tom Cruise that makes him the greatest, what is it, uh, in your opinion? Like, it's just one thing, maybe one word, one quality of person. Because the thing is, it's interesting, fucking. Um, when when Mark Marin used to talk about Dane Cook, he used to call him at an empty vessel full of fuel, like the like so the cargo hold and all the pilots and all that shit. There's nothing there, but it's just packed with fuel and it's gonna go somewhere. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I I think there's something about frankly actors and frankly definitely movie stars in general where. I'm not trying to be an asshole, but only an empty person would need this many personas. I'm sorry. That's my yeah. personal opinion. Only an empty yeah. person would need this many personas, need to have this many roles, need to blah, blah. But then again, the best of those people are empty in this weird productive way. Like they're empty and they go, oh, well, I'll learn how to be a, a Romani general with a big bowl on my face for 15 months so I can play this role or I'll get fat or I'll do this. They, they experience life in these bites and bits where they become these things. So in in essence, they're like taskmaster. They take on like hmm. a temporary mastery of a lot of shit. I wouldn't want to fence with Douglas Fairbanks, I'll tell you that. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like they they fight. I wouldn't want to have a fist fight with John, with fucking uh, Keanu Reeves right now. You know what I mean? So they become these things on some level. So on some level, it's they're empty and they just become a bunch of shit because they're they're whatever. And on some levels, they're infinitely full because it becomes so many people over their lifetimes. So like like what's what's Tom Cruise's thing? What's Tom Cruise's major quality that makes you think he's a great actor? I've got well, one. I mean, that that kind of nails it. But go ahead, Ron. I got one too. It's one word. Running. <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. Yeah, we, you know what? I commend us for not talking about him having the greatest run in screen history. That motherfucker should have started Prefontaine, Chariots of Fire, yep. every goddamn yep, thing. No, nobody run like him. Oh, I don't know if I can top that. I was just going to say commitment. I think where I started the conversation is where I want to end the conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, he sells out, man. He sells out, whether it's those stunts, whether it's his acting, whether it is the fact that he does seem to just be an empty vessel into which the masses can pour their enjoyment. Um, the dude is nothing if not a movie star, first, second, and always. Fuck yeah. yeah. And that and that is why he is the greatest. So if you want to hear uh, more in-depth conversations, you want to hear us take apart the Hulk, you want to hear us uh, tell you about uh, the parasocial nature of being involved in podcasts at all. If you want to see us do all type of examinations and ruminations, you can join our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the greatest pod. You can give us a review on Apple Pods and on Spotify now, a five star review. And we tend to read those reviews on air. As a matter of fact, we have one. This is from the Vulcan Bard. And they say, truly, truly the greatest. Boys, boys, boys. Longtime, <laughs> listen- <laughs> Long-time listener came over during Ed's SJU days and Patreon subscriber left a review and rating on the old show and had to hop on the new joint. When you read that review over two years ago, you guys rightfully roasted my old username and I made up as a kid and basically forced the rebrand of my online persona. Hope you re- yes. hope you improve. <laughs> <laughs> I love your takes and opinions on how these characters in this art impact real world politics and beliefs. I don't necessarily agree with you, but I enjoy nonetheless. You guys are like my echo chamber anti-venom. Sorry, <laughs> that use of strained metaphors can't live up to Ed's. Aww. Uh, <laughs> Uh, this Hoosier libertarian is hooked and a fan for life. Keep up the great work. Yay! Nice. So That's awesome. Look, okay, even libertarians like us. That's <laughs> thank you, Vulcan Bard. Well, you know they're yeah, hands seriously. off. You know what I'm saying? They wouldn't fuck with Pete Mitchell <laughs> if he was going to fucking do something. They'd be like, "Hey, just keep your hands off my taxes <laughs> or whatever." And I'm fine. Don't tax him and let him do his thing. Well, hey, Libertarian, if something exists, they're not here to tell it that it shouldn't. So he'll let us live. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, And speaking of let it live, uh, I think this is the best way to close down that Tom Cruise is the greatest. He now has the best grossing film of all time in the U.S. And he just passed the Avengers on the all time box box office uh, gross with Top Gun Maverick. That's right. Top Wait, Gun what? Maverick. Oh, my God. So if you ever doubted, <laughs> you can stop doubting. Le- I am legitimately speechless at that. That That is nuts. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you, a bunch of fat dads needed to feel good. And they took their kids <laughs> and their wives. 
<laughs> and that is how you make the moolah. And that is how we end our episode. Thank you guys so much for staying with us, sticking with us, and listening to another Top Gun Maverick episode of The Greatest Pie.